Uh, if you were born in East Whittier Presbyterian Hospital, uh, Ozfoss from, Stri- from Striper. Now, what's interesting about that in Bottom Line Show, I'm going really deep on a rabbit hole here just for a split second before we get into Super Tuesday, is Oz was born at East Whittier Presbyterian Hospital on my dad's birthday that year, which is kind of weird. But Tamra, my producer, was born at the same hospital. And then Melody, her daughter, was born at the same hospital too. So basically, and at one point, you remember Chad who used to work here? I don't remember Chad's last name. Chad was born at the same hospital too. So basically, if you are looking for work and you want to work for KBRT and you were born at East Whittier Presbyterian Hospital, you kind of have a leg up on the competition. That's that's all I'm trying to say. Okay. <laughs> that's nothing to do with anything. Um, it is Super Tuesday. And we have a Super Tuesday story to share with you that is very interesting because, you know, for all the people who say, hey, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Donald Trump, blah, blah, blibbity, blah, you know, and the, the uh, you know, the, the whole idea that uh, the, the, the Trump team, you know, was not being honest about the election and, you know, were there people trying to steal votes? I do have a story out of New Mexico about this actually happening in the most recent election. And I want to get into it and talk to you about it because these are the types of things that happen. But first, I should mention, since the weather is so lousy up and down the state, I mean, and I realize it's, it's not horrible rain here at the Bottom Line Studios today, but nonetheless, it is wet. Because it's wet and you deserve a break, we have four pair of tickets to give away to the Bill Gaither vocal band, band band, trio concert that's happening. Bill Gaither and company, you heard uh, my conversation yesterday with Kevin Williams, who's been the uh, uh, band leader for the Gaithers on the road for the past 30 years. And Kevin stopped by and he left tickets with him, which is really nice. And before we could give them back to him, we decided we'd just give them away. Because Kevin doesn't need a ticket because he's in the band. So we have four pair of tickets. They're playing this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday here in Southern California. On Friday night, they're playing at uh, First, or excuse me, Lake Avenue uh, Congregational Church in Pasadena. Saturday night, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and Sunday night at uh, David Jeremiah's Church, Shadow Mountain, in uh, East County, San Diego. We have four pair of tickets for the Pasadena show this Friday to give away, and so let's give them away. Crystal standing by. Ready to answer the phones, 800-227-5278. In the past, we have given these tickets away where you had the opportunity to win tickets to, and you had your choice of shows depending on where you lived. Uh, These are all for the Pasadena show. So if you're calling from San Diego right now or you're calling from, you know, Ventura, please know these tickets are for the Pasadena show. Okay, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We've got four pair of tickets to give away to see the Bill Gaither Trio Vocal Band Orchestra. I mean, there's just going to be a ton of people performing, singing praise to the Lord this Friday night, March 17th at Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena. Would love to give you one of these pairs of tickets. We've got four of them. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, what's interesting on here on this Super Tuesday is we've heard so much from people who have been looking at the elections and asking the question, are there any honest election officials left in America? That's a question that, let's face it, if you saw what happened in the 2020 election, the general election, it's safe to say, had some outside influence to it. 
I know some people who are bottom line show listeners would say, oh, it was it was stolen. Absolutely stolen. The the Democrats tried to steal it, tried to keep uh, President Trump from winning reelection and they it was stolen. Others, uh, Molly Hemingway, who writes for The Federalist, I believe, wrote an outstanding book called Rigged. And basically she makes the case in the book that the election wasn't stolen per se for our My Hope Now crowd. I've got my fingers up in air quotes. Um, that it wasn't necessarily stolen, but it definitely was rigged. And if you look at the evidence, there were over 300 laws that were passed leading up to the 2020 election that were passed under some rather sketchy circumstances, shall we say. Laws that were passed that should have been passed through state legislatures that actually were written in by the Secretary of State or the Election Commission, or, um, you know, the state Supreme Court. That happened in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, there were a couple of laws that were passed leading up. It was largely about absentee voting, mail-in voting, things of that nature. And people who did not have the jurisdiction to make those decisions were making the decisions. In Delaware, there was an issue with regarding mail-in voting. And the state legislature passed a mail-in voting law. Now, that law was passed in 2019, and it was scheduled to take effect in the 2022 midterms. There was just one problem. The legislature did not have the authority to pass that bill. That would have been a vote of the people. And so they violated their own state's constitution in Delaware by trying to pass legislation that would make it legal to make, basically they wanted to make it mandatory that everybody voted by mail. So when a, something like that does happen, you ask the question, well, okay, are there you know, shenanigans going on? Remember the, the Democrats were all convinced that Donald Trump was colluding with Russia and the Russians were trying to influence the U.S. presidential election, et cetera, et cetera. Yakety schmackety. And then they did the Mueller investigation and Chris Ray and James Coney, the FBI, uh, three years hundreds of millions of dollars down the drain because it turned out the only evidence they were able to turn up was that it wasn't Donald Trump having any sort of Russian collusion. Russia tried to tamper with the internet and both sides of the aisle. They tried to run, you know, Donald Trump ads on Hillary Clinton sites and Hillary Clinton ads on Donald Trump. But there was some rather suspicious activity happening in the Clinton camp that if anybody was going to be, you know, held liable, it should have been Mrs. Clinton. Well, fast forward to the 2022 election and a very interesting turn of events out of the state of New Mexico. The New Mexico Secretary of State, a woman called Maggie Toulouse Oliver, was using software to try to combine the results in the New Mexico elections. It was for ease and convenience, she said. Unfortunately for her, um, it's also illegal. It's illegal in the federal law, it's illegal in New Mexico law. And then, as if to make things worse, she went to great lengths to actually cover up what she tried to do. There was a hearing, uh, public testimony in November, Torrance County in New Mexico. They had a public meeting. And the Estancia News Agency did a rather deep dive on how the election results in New Mexico are finalized. The term they use is canvassed. It turns out that rather than following the framework that has been established according to New Mexico law and U.S. voting law, the Secretary of State tried to basically cut out all the clerks uh, to break multiple state and federal laws and try to centralize all of this. 
during the canvas where they're putting all this together, county clerks are to create a quote-unquote report of the canvas. That gives a detailed election result by ballot type, by precinct for all the races on the ballot. State law explicitly states in New Mexico that the canvas report is the sole responsibility of the county clerk. I'm reading from the election code here. The county clerk shall prepare the report of the canvas of the election returns by carefully examining the returns of each precinct to ascertain if they contain the properly executed certificates required by the election code and to ascertain whether any discrepancy, omission, or error appears on the face of the election returns. After that, the county commission must review the canvas report and other election documents and then accept them if they find no errors. Then and only then is the election certified in that county, and only after that process has been completed within the county are the reports sent to the Secretary of State's office for completion of the state canvas, which combines all of the individual county canvas reports. But apparently that was too much work for Maggie Toulouse-Oliver. She didn't want to be bothered with all those those nonsensical state reports and things like that and those county clerks, you know, who were having to do their job. Why would you make them tabulate all that? Wouldn't it be a lot easier just to say, hey, send them all to my office and we'll take care of the hassle for you? How many counties are there in New Mexico? This is kind of a new pet project of mine. Uh, the, it's amazing. California has the largest population of the nation and... There, we have 58 counties. Kentucky has a population the size, the whole Commonwealth of Kentucky is the size of Orange County, California. There are over 200 counties in Kentucky. New Mexico, population data is a couple million. There are 33 counties. Okay. I don't think it should be too much of an effort for all of the county clerks, all 33 county clerks in New Mexico, to count the votes to make sure everything's on the up and up, to make sure the ballots all fit, like Kerry Lake said was a problem in Arizona, make sure they fit the machines and the fonts are all legible and et cetera, et cetera, and then send them to the Secretary of State's office where the Secretary of State's job is to count the tabulations based on what's already been certified by each county. No, bring me your tired, your uncounted, your dangling chads from all 33 counties in New Mexico, and I will count them for you. And you know what? Don't worry about a thing. I've got this. You don't have to worry. Oh, my heavens. So needless to say, the investigation will be ongoing. But if you wonder why people get so upset over the fact that so many people have had issues with the elections and the counting, may I submit to you that what happened in New Mexico with the 2022 midterms is exhibit number 397,000 or whatever as to why people don't trust election results. When you hear a politician say, this election was won fair and square, do not believe them. I don't care what party affiliation they have or which ones you have. This woman in the Secretary of State in New Mexico is a Democrat. She wanted to see the state go blue or stay blue, and this is the way she was going to do it. It ain't right, brothers and sisters, and I know that's not proper English, but I don't care. It ain't right. Uh, but that door swings both ways. And on the other side of this break, talking about election integrity, we're going to take one of our own out to the woodshed and find out why someone who's been a regular contributor to the bottom line, who was a confidant of the 45th president of the United States, was recently censured 
by the Colorado Bar Association and what made her admit to lying about whether or not President Trump won in a landslide and they should just throw out the results of the 2020 election. We'll put Jenna Ellis of the crosshairs on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know, one thing that is not up for debate, especially as it pertains to your how you like to vote, is the sanctity of human life. Yeah, I know traditionally Republicans are more pro-life than Democrats, but at the end of the day, a person's a person no matter how small, and when you see a preborn clinic doing an ultrasound performance on a woman's uh, womb and seeing that baby's picture and hearing that baby's heartbeat, something happens to you and to the child. 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and have an ultrasound done choose life for their child, either to become a mother themselves or to uh, release that child for adoption. 85% abortion clinics will not give you the dignity of showing you the ultrasound image of your child through an ultrasound. Preborn clinics do. And your donations make it possible. $15,000 provides another ultrasound machine for a preborn clinic right here in Southern California. You can make a difference. Make that one time donation online at kbrightradio.com. Click on the banner for preborn or call 833 850 BABY. 833 850 BABY. That's 833 850 2229. Preborn ultrasounds save lives. Call today and save one yourself. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Get a little Stevie Ray for us here on this rainy Tuesday afternoon. If you want to make the rain go away, we can't chase the clouds that rain away, but we can put a smile on your face, well, with Stevie, and tickets to the Bill Gaither Show this Friday night at the Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena. 800-227-5278 is the number to call. We started the program with four pair of tickets to the show. I believe we've given away at least one pair. We've given away two pair. Todd, see, Todd, when Todd runs the board today, uh, or any day he does, the tickets just fly. I mean, they just take off. So you better hustle. you got about 15 minutes left where we're giving these tickets away. 800-227-5278. We've been giving away tickets to the Bill Gaither show uh, to see the inimitable 87-year-old uh, Bill Gaither and his trio and vocal band and band band performing, and they're at uh, this Friday night at Lake Avenue uh, in Pasadena. They're also playing Saturday night, the 18th, at uh, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and Sunday night, the 19th, at David Jeremiah's Church, Shadow Mountain in San Diego. But the tickets are for this Friday night. Just know that when you call, um, if you're one, if you're listening online, we've got a, people who listen on the app, uh, this <laughs> If you're coming in from Arizona or New York or Kentucky, um, what you're going to do is you're going to get tickets for the Friday night event. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, we were talking earlier here on this Super Tuesday about the, uh, the Secretary of State of New Mexico, uh, a woman by the name of Maggie Toulouse-Oliver, who used illegal software to combine election results in New Mexico elections. Now, there's no evidence that she was changing votes. She wasn't discarding votes that we know of. The, where the trouble started is there are 33 counties in New Mexico, and every county has a county clerk who's responsible for making sure they tabulate all of their county's elections and certifying them on the county level, and then sending them to the state secretary of state's office, where he or she then is, tabulates those. What the Secretary of State in New Mexico did was they purchased illegal software and 
not that I'm sure they bought the software legally. They were using it illegally to tabulate election results. So that puts the New Mexico uh, election results up in the air. I can understand why in 2020, when you see the number of uh, challenges that there were on the state level and on the local level and the county level to, uh, you know, question the results of the election, there are a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump and were very, very upset that it looked like the election had been stolen from him. As a matter of fact, uh, that was language that the president, in fact, used. I tried to be as careful as I could during that, saying I don't believe it was stolen. I believe that the certain election laws were rigged. Um, you know, Time ran a huge spread on it afterwards where their reporter basically explained, yeah, they did. They had to. We had to do something to keep Donald Trump from winning with absolutely no sense of self-awareness whatsoever as to saying we passed laws illegally that made it almost impossible for Donald Trump to win re-election. Can you imagine someone saying, well, you know, Joe Biden's so old, we had to change all the laws to make sure there's no way anybody who was just a regular voter would vote for Joe Biden and he'd actually win. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> but Team Trump that involved Rudy Giuliani and regular bottom line show contributor John Easton and, and a host of others went at it full throttle for two months with President Trump everywhere saying, they stole the election from me, this is a big rig, I won by a landslide, whatever. And he embellishes all the time. So, I mean, no one really pays attention to what he has to say. But there were some half-truths that were attributed to him, like the Georgia election, uh, the Georgia election results. Remember, the Donald Trump called and demanded that the Brad Raffensperger, the Republican uh, Secretary of State, demanded that he find him more votes when the actual quote was he called and said, Brad, I think if you go back and do a hand recount, you're going to find more votes for me. That's a bad Trump impersonation. I was trying. But that's what he actually said. Never mind the fact that PBS, whoever had it, sat on the actual audio for months, but they just went with the headline. But the Trump team actually made some rather egregious statements as well. And one of them, unfortunately, is a bottom line contributor from years past. We haven't been able to catch up with her in the past couple of years because she's been rather busy. Jenna Ellis, former host of Attorney Client Privilege on our sister station, KLDC, and uh, basically a spokesperson for the president, senior counsel, um, a high profile member of his team that challenged the election laws. Boy, I remember when, remember that press conference that they held and she was out there pounding the table and we've got evidence and we've got proof and we're going to go ahead and do this. Well, apparently some of the things that Jenna Ellis said in public with regard to the election weren't true. As a matter of fact, quite a few of the statements weren't in fact true. Recently, the Colorado Bar Association issued a censure of Jenna Ellis where they identified no fewer than 10 statements that she made repeatedly in a public setting that were not true. And so uh, Jenna Ellis has agreed to be censured by a Colorado court after admitting to making these false statements. She referred to them as misrepresentations. Now, what were those misrepresentations and why is it so important? Well, she said things like the, the Trump legal team could prove the election was stolen. They didn't have any evidence. They, they tried 82 different times to try those cases in federal court and state court, and every single one was thrown out because they didn't have standing to file the suit. They said that the results were fraudulent. Well, 
until you have tangible proof, there might have been a few votes one way or the other that went for President Biden, but until you actually have proof that the vote was fraudulent, you can't make that statement. Ellis and state officials agreed that the statements violated a Colorado rule against attorneys engaging in conduct, quote, that involves dishonesty, fraud, deceit, or misrepresentation. So the question I have is, did you believe what you were saying and you lied, or is someone coming after you and you decided that you wanted to save your career, so you're trying to do a little sidestep of the statements you made? i got a couple of thoughts to share on that issue, and we'll talk about those on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Stephanie Cover has personal integrity. She knows the law. She loves the Lord. And she fights for your rights from a biblical perspective. And that's very important. This biblical restitution that she's fighting for is more than just about getting you big settlements. Call her office right now at 877-214-4935 or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Cover Law. See, it's always fun. It's a Todd Tuesday. There we go. Uh, we've got a couple more pair of tickets to the C. Bill Gaither at... Uh, Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena this Friday night, March the 17th, uh, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through. Two more pair that were given away this half hour. See, this is the best part about listening in early to the program is you get to win free stuff. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, if every Democrat politician was held to the same standard that Jenna Ellis was when she was censured, it would be a totally different ball, this ball game. This is from PBS. This is one of the misrepresenting statements that Jenna Ellis made about the election in 2020 that got her censured by the Colorado Bar Association. Quote, November 20th, 2020, Ellis appeared on the Newsmax program of Sean Spicer, former Trump spokesman, and said, quote, with all those states, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Georgia combined, we know that the election was stolen from President Trump and we can prove it. Now, the Colorado Bar Association is saying that's the equivalent of yelling fire in a crowded movie theater. If this is what Jen Ellis needs as far as a censure goes, then I'm all for it as long as the other side will be held to the same standard. And I don't know. I mean, you look back at the 2016 election, I'm sure there were some whoppers that were told by legal analysts on the Hillary Clinton side about Russian collusion and things like that that weren't, if anything, they led to book deals and Netflix TV series. But my question for the team Trump, and especially in this case, Jenna, would be, you're saying I didn't do anything wrong. These are misrepresentations. I had to agree to the censure to keep my license. 
Couple questions. Question number one, how much law are you practicing in Colorado? Whenever you see Jenna Ellis in public, whether she's repping for John MacArthur and his church to reopen or stumping for uh, a gubernatorial candidate in Pennsylvania, she's basically a paid spokesperson. If you look at all of the legal challenges that the Trump administration had to the 2020 election, you will not see her as the attorney who filed the suit on any of those challenges, to my knowledge. So the question of being a practicing attorney seems kind of like a moot point to me. I'm generally you got an open invitation, standing invite to come on and explain to our listeners your side of the story as to why you felt it was important to keep your law license in that regard. Are there not other states you could pass the bar in? I mean, and again, she, she's practicing in Colorado. I think she's living in D.C. or something like that. I mean, I, that's the question. But for Christians especially, speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. The best thing that is, when I worked at radio sales, I had a boss one time who taught me a very wise uh, idiom that I think he lives by too. He said, the best thing about telling the truth is you'd ever have to remember what you said which for salespeople is something that's really important. Todd's laughing at that one. But that's number one, you know, you let your yes be yes, let your no be no. But number two, if someone attacks you for speaking the truth in love, especially about something that is an issue of faith and conscience, and they want to disbar you, let them. I mean, what's worse? I sold my integrity I admitted that I was a liar just so I can keep my, I mean, no disrespect intended, but I can't imagine that her phone's ringing off the hook with clients saying, hey, will you represent me in court now? Aren't you the lying lady? I mean, that stuff on social media lasts forever. You know what else lasts on social media forever is the impact of pornography. And it's become a huge epidemic. On the other side of this break, a special guest is going to join me to talk about the impact of pornography on women not being involved in making it, but consuming it. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome to another edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we are going to get into a topic here for the next half hour for the full network of the next hour for um, those who can listen into the full hour. We're going to talk about a subject that's of grave importance in the culture. Um, typically in Christian circles, when we talk about sexual sin and pornography and that type of stuff, we typically divide into two categories. The users, the consumers, if you will, are the men, and the people who make it are sometimes men, sometimes women, but there's typically a female element as the star of the show, if you will. My guest for the next hour today here on The Bottom Line is a young woman who represents a growing trend. She's a mom who's in her late 30s, and uh, married and has a couple of kids. But when she was 13 years of age, she was exposed to pornography. And it put her life as a Christian young woman on a rather perilous path. Her name is Jessica Harris. She has a fascinating testimony uh, that she writes about in a new book called Quenched, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And if you know someone who's struggling with this, or maybe as you hear our conversation unfold, and you begin to realize, wow, I think there's someone in my world who might need this. Um, we've got a lot of these resources to share. Now, I have to uh, caution everyone who's listening with young children around, or maybe even high school age kids around, or middle school. This is a topic for adults. 
to discuss discussing pornography. There's no real graphic depictions of, you know, things like that. You're not going to crash your car if you're listening to it. But just the idea of a young woman who now represents and ministers to a lot of other young women who are wrestling with pornography. It's no longer just a watch out for the guys. You got to protect their eyes and, you know, bounce them and, you know, every man's battle. It's hitting young women hard and heavy right now as well. So uh, if you need to uh, go ahead and take a break here and go to uh, thebottomlineshow.com or myhopenow.com and you can watch the podcast or listen to the podcast uh, when it's the right time for you to do so when you don't have little ears and eyes hanging around with you. But now let's get into part one of my powerful conversation with Jessica Harris talking about young women and porn addiction on today's edition of The Bottom Line. Well, today on The Bottom Line, we're going to have a faithful conversation about a topic that doesn't get discussed a lot, but seems to be coming, seems to be becoming a bit more challenging. Uh, it's the issue of lust. It's the issue of whether or not, you know, we are doing enough in the church to help guys in this area. And then along comes a brand new book by a new author to me by the name of Jessica Harris called Quenched. And Quenched deals with the problem of lust from a whole different perspective. Uh, Jessica Harris is a, a writer and international speaker who talks openly and honestly about pornography addiction among Christian women. And her brand new book is called Quenched. Uh, we've got a book, link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, Discovering God's Abundant Grace for Women Struggling with Pornography and Sexual Shame. Jessica Harris, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Well, I, I'm glad you are. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm a little apprehensive about getting <laughs> into the topic. And I, I mean that most sincerely because I'm in my early 60s. And for years, whatever the church has dealt with the issue of pornography and everything, it's always at the men's breakfast or the guy's retreat or this, that, and the other thing. And yet anecdotally, my wife and I have this conversation a lot about if we were growing up in the culture that you grew up in and that our grandkids are growing up in right now, it might be a different story. Talk about, uh, just kind of give us a 90-second overview. I mean, you got to a point where you have experienced some a measure of healing, you know, and deliverance mm -hmm. from this, but how did it start for you? Right. So I was exposed to pornography when I was 13 years old. I grew up in a Christian home and the, I was 13 back in uh, 1999. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone probably remembers dial up and mm -hmm. when yep. the internet was still kind of new and we didn't really understand the dangers and the ramifications of having access to whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. Sure. Um, and I was exposed completely by accident. Um, but I didn't have, um, a context for what I was seeing really. So I didn't, mm -hmm. I thought, Oh, well, what's this, this is interesting. And so began a, a journey of curiosity and exploration and thinking this doesn't count because it's not like technically sex. So this is right. for me and this is good. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I was 17, it was completely out of control, like just consuming my life for hours at a time. And I thought, well, how do I, how do I get this back in its box? Because I still felt like this is okay. This is safe. This is fine. Um, but how do I, how do I stop? And um, I tried to stop and I couldn't. So then I looked for help and there was absolutely nothing out there mentioning that women could struggle with it or women could even watch this. And mm -hmm. I thought, man, am I the only woman in the world who's done this. Like I thought it was normal up until now. And now I'm not so sure anymore. 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't know who to go to for help at 17. And no one's talking about this. Um, who do I tell in my church? I right. can't feel like right. I couldn't tell my family. So I just struggled with this, this journey of shame and just feeling like the silence that the, my family had around the topic and the church had around the topic just compounded that shame for me and made it feel like I couldn't find a way out. And I was never going to be able to break free. And that journey took me to some, some dark depths, but eventually I found hope because I went off to Bible college and there they said, we know some of you women struggle with this and, Mm. and we want to help you. And so I was able to find freedom and hope and grace through that conversation. So it's been my my desire in what I do in writing and speaking to help start that conversation in other communities where women are struggling and they feel like they can't find help or tell anybody. Frame of reference here is we're talking to Jessica Harris, the author of the book Quenched today here on the bottom line and women who find themselves addicted to pornography. You mentioned at age 13, it was the first time you saw it and you kind of came across this rather innocently. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that as a young boy, the first time I was exposed to pornography was, uh, this is in the late 60s, I was eight years old, I went to a friend's house, we were in the garage messing around doing something, I don't know, his older brother was always rebuilding a motorcycle or something, so we would just hang out <laughs> there, and dad there at that home subscribed to Playboy, mm-hmm. and they had the nice racks and the covers and stuff like that, and they he, dad used to keep his collection in the garage, well his sons knew where it was, and so I came over one day on my Schwinn Stingray, you know, hey, guys, what are we doing today? And they said, here, look at this. I'm like, what the heck? You know, mm-hmm. but I knew exactly what that was at eight years old. There's a pretty girl with no clothes on. I, I totally understand that. There was a certain innocence to it. But at the same time, I kind of looked at that initially as this is my first step in the progress to manhood. I mean, that's mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't like I became addicted to it because we didn't have but you had to go get it you know, back in the 60s right. and 70s. Your generation, Jessica, I mean, you you were doing the dial-up, waiting for the data thing, and next <laughs> thing you know, all of a sudden, here comes these images, like in an email, maybe it was a spam or something like that. And you're just opening it up and taking a look at it. When was the point where you realized, though, you know, 13 when you first are exposed to pornography and you start consuming it, as they say in, in the media world, when did you realize, hey, wait a minute, this isn't normal, this is a problem? I mean, was that... 16, 17, 18, where all of a sudden it went from, yeah, I look at it, I'm sure other people do, and it's probably normal to, oh my goodness, <laughs> this yeah. is a problem. I mean, there, mm-hmm. I'm sure there was some point where you had that dividing line, wasn't mm-hmm. there? So it was when I was a senior in high school, because I was coming home from school and I was calling my mom at work, obviously, because we have dial-up and I lived alone with my mom. My mom was a, a single mom and my siblings were out of the home at that time. And mm-hmm. so I called I would call my mom at work and say, Hey, what time do you think you're going to be home? And cause she worked a job that had varying hours. And so she might say something like six, I'll be home at 6 PM. Okay. And well, I'll be researching for school all afternoon, meaning like you right. can't call because I'm going to be online. Mm-hmm. And then I would spend all afternoon watching pornography and wow. would keep an eye on the clock so that at 545, since she says she's going to be home at six, I might either call her at work to see if she's still going to be home at six, or I would just assume that she's going to be home at six. And I would clear the history. I would type in websites that were educational and did look like research so that if she used the computer, it would look like I had been researching. And then after she went to bed, I would 
set up in our living room because the computer was in her room. So I didn't have access to it once she was in there and, and sleeping, obviously. So I would sit out in the living room. And back in the day when you did not get a channel on cable, sometimes the scenes would still slip through. It wasn't mm -hmm. just like a subscribe, you need to have access. It You could still kind of sort of watch it. So I would sit up late at night watching the adult channels on our wow. television, just waiting for scenes to slip through. And then finally go to bed, absolutely exhausted, sleep for maybe two hours and then go to school. And then anytime I was around a school computer, I would be looking up erotica, which is written text. And people aren't going to question a 4.0 student looking right. at text right. on a computer. So I would be reading erotica anytime I was around a school computer and had that Gosh. ability. So it was anytime I wasn't eating, sleeping or doing my schoolwork, I was, I was using pornography and it got to the point where it's like, Hey, my grades are getting a little hard to maintain. I'm kind of tired. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I would like to maybe not do this all the time. And I thought, okay, two hours a day is, is a safe amount like that. That's surely, you know, reasonable mm -hmm. and couldn't, I would find myself almost losing track of time. And I, I equate it to when you're on maybe on Netflix and you're just watching episode yeah. after episode after episode, it's similar to that. You just kind of lose track of time. And I would look up and it would be sure enough, six o'clock at night. And I would think like, come on, Jessica, why can't you get this together? And that's when I realized, okay, this is out of, out of control and I need to get this back in its, in its box and get this back into a reason in my brain. It still had a, a place and it was still a reasonable amount. And I just needed to get it back into its reasonable amount. And when I couldn't do that, that's when I thought, oh man, I'm, I'm in trouble. This is now controlling me. Wow. An addiction to pornography, a 17 year old girl coming to grips with that. That's the story that Jessica Harris tells in her brand new book called Quenched. We have a link for the book up at the bottomlineshow.com. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that transitional moment in, in terms of next steps. Now that she realizes that she's consuming all sorts of pornography. And uh, I would imagine that there, there's a term for it in the social media world, the zombie scrolling, where you just get on your phone and scroll. And next thing you know, an hour has gone by and you say, boy, where did that go? That was her story with pornography. But there's good news uh, in terms of the healing and the hope and restoration and what she's doing now ministry-wise. And we'll talk about that on the other side of this break. Author Jessica Harris, my guest, more in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. 
or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Jessica Harris is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. I didn't mention this at the start of the program, but I will mention it here at the start of this segment because we have different people jumping in on different parts of the segment. We're talking about pornography. We're talking about porn addiction and how God has delivered Jessica from this. If you have younger listeners or viewers, if you're watching on myhopenow.com with us, you definitely want to use parental discretion. Her book is called Quenched, Discovering God's Abundant Grace for Women Struggling with Pornography and Sexual Shame. Uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jessica, you mentioned an accidental exposure to pornography by age 13. National average is 11, so you're right in there, and it's like 90% of kids wind up getting that email or that text message or something that looks legit, and then it turns out to be pornography. Uh, your fascination turned into hours and hours on end, and by the time you were a senior in high school, uh, you find yourself, uh, grades are suffering, your health is suffering, and then there's that point where you say, okay, I have a problem with this, but now the next step is you're talking about being, you know, this is in the early 2000s where the dominant resource on the market was Fred Stoker and Steve Arterburn saying every man's battle, man, 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 man. And where do you go to as a young woman who's trying to develop a healthy sexuality, but you realize you kind of stumbled into an unhealthy one? How did you start reaching out to people, trusting that they wouldn't look at you and say, what? Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I was absolutely terrified of exactly that yeah. reaction when I was 17 and going, wow, I could really probably use help with this, but oh my goodness, who, yeah. how, you know, going to um, uh, obviously I didn't feel like it was something we could talk about in my family. We just never even talked about sex in general. And mm -hmm. my church, I grew up in a very conservative church. And I just, I remember thinking, which pastor's wife am I going to kill off with a heart attack by like, <laughs> right? telling them that the deacon, like my grandfather was a deacon. My grandmother taught in Sunday school. My mom was sang in the choir and that mm -hmm. I, their poster child for, you know, mm -hmm. the amazing mm -hmm. Christian girl have actually been struggling with pornography for years. May and, I interrupt you for just a second yeah. and ask, you mentioned you grew up with a single, you know, single mom and home. Where mm -hmm. was dad in all of this? My father was abusive and he left our family when okay. I was seven. So wow. Um, he just kind of walked out of our family and was just gone. so you didn't you didn't have to worry about you know going to dad's house for a couple of weekends every month and that mm -mm. type of stuff. He was just no, out of the picture. He was gone. Completely. Yeah, he was okay. gone. Okay. okay. So um, I just I just didn't feel like there was anywhere anywhere safe to to share. And I did actually share in my youth group at one point as a past struggle. So we did this exercise where it's like, tell us who you were before you came to know Jesus and who you are afterwards. And so I thought, let me see how safe this is. To, and let me just say that it's something that I used to struggle with. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and see what they say. <laughs> and and how did that response, go? <laughs> the response was basically like, well, we're so glad we don't have to talk about that. Moving on. You know, it, it was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. glad we're, we're free of that one. Uh -huh. uh, so then I, I thought, okay, you know what? I'll go off to college and they'll be able to help me. Cause okay. Right. My conservative church might not have seen this. My family has no idea, but a, a Christian college will have experience with young women who have grown up around the internet and have struggled with this. Like I cannot be the only woman in the world who's done this. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I go off to college and I got caught. I was at a Christian school and they filtered and monitored your internet mm -hmm. and your, your internet. And I didn't know that. So I get summoned to the Dean's office and they have my entire internet history printed off in a folder. Mm -hmm. um, and someone had 
gone through and highlighted the websites that were like obviously pornographic that you couldn't just say like, oh, that's a cooking website. You know, right. Like the ones right. where it's like, obviously this one's not. Yeah. And uh, the dean said, you know, this is sick. This is disgusting. And whoever has this problem, like really, really needs help. Uh, that being said, we know this wasn't you because women just don't have this problem. Mm. So I was like, wow, this is, this is great. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So I didn't feel safe, obviously, to to say anything there. They reprimanded me for sharing my password with male classmates and told me to be a better sister in Christ and sent me back to my room. Amazing. Um, Amazing. And so I'm 17 years old, grew up in the church, Christian college. And I was like, well, obviously I am the only woman in the world who's done this. There must be something fundamentally wrong with me. So I give up. <laughs> if I can't, if I can't find a way out, then I'm just done fighting it and done pretending that this isn't part of my life. And so I thought, well, if I can't be the good Christian girl who used to be addicted to porn, then I'll just be the porn star who used to be a Christian. Mm. And so I was 17 and trying to figure out how to break into the adult industry. And thankfully it's not like applying to your local grocery store, but mm-hmm. um, I did, I just went down this road of, I'm sorry, God, like, thank you for trying to love me, but obviously you can't. I've messed up. I actually found a a website and a video when I was looking for help that said people who watch pornography are committing a sin worse than the sin of the sin of Adam. Like as if pornography was absolutely the worst thing that you could do. And so I just remember feeling just so hopeless (laughs) Mm. and so smothered by shame. Um, I left the school. I withdrew from the school and went back home. And at the school we had like high speed internet. I mean, for the early two thousands, it's not exactly high speed, but (laughs) yeah, right. back home I had dial up. And so I wasn't able to do as much as I had planned, I guess with, because of dial up internet and God just really moved in my life in that time. And I kind of came to this sense of, okay, well, God, if you can do something with this messed up person that I am, then I'll, I'll give you another shot in a way. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's how I ended up at Bible college the following year. And that's where the conversation happened, where the Dean staff pulled all the women into a room. They talked about strongholds and the reality of strongholds in our lives, where we might be trying to serve God in all different, all different areas, but there's this one thing that we just can't let go of, or this one little castle kind of, that still belongs to the enemy, this one fortress that's still not turned over to God and and that the enemy uses that to, to keep a foothold kind of in our lives. And then they, that's the context in which they said, some of you struggle with pornography and we want to help you. And Mm. I was like, how have they been reading my journal? Right. Right. (laughs) And then you kind of, you you want to look around the room and go, who else, who else is there? Please. There's gotta be one other person in this room. Yes. Exactly. So, um, they had us all write down whatever stronghold it was. And I remember being so angry because I wanted like the cute Christian stronghold. Like I wanted to be able to say like, I don't read my Bible for 45 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I wanted that one. I didn't want the one that they had talked about that probably made everyone else go, what? Heck, you know, at that I, point, Jessica, you probably would t- would settle for a mild eating disorder or something like that, right? You <laughs> just, know? Give me, just give me anything else but this one. Like, right. This is the yes, one they're going to be flipping through these yeah. papers and go, oh yes. my goodness, we didn't mean it. We didn't mean that somebody struggled with this. Yeah. Um, so I did. I wrote it all out because it just felt like God was saying like, this is your, hello, this is the engraved invitation that people always talk about. You know, they literally right. started the conversation. Mm-hmm. 
you have a paper in front of you that says, my name is blank. My stronghold is blank. Like just answer, like fill it out. And I, Mm -hmm. I hated that, but man, if that confession and that letting somebody else into that part of my story didn't start the journey of freedom, I experienced so much fear initially because Mm -hmm. I thought, Mm -hmm. what if they lied to me? They're going to send me home. They're going to, um, like I, and I'm never going to get out of this. Like if I I got caught and it didn't work, it didn't help. Now I'm confessing. And if that doesn't help, then I'm toast. Like there's no way out. And they came to my room later that evening and they said, Hey, what you wrote on that paper was brave and we want to help you. And I just remember thinking brave is the last adjective I would use for Mm -hmm. What just mm-hmm. happened? Like I could think yeah. of disgusting. I could think of a lot of other things. But, sure, sure. And they said brave, and wow. they just took me under their wings, kind of, and really worked on helping me restore who I was meant to be in Christ, and help build up that identity, as well as helping me break free from the stronghold of pornography. Jessica Harris is a woman of courage and uh, sharing her story with us today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Quenched, Discovering God's Abundant Grace for Women Struggling with Pornography and Sexual Shame. We have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're going to take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about the shame part of that equation. And I didn't want anyone to get the impression earlier I said, quote, unquote, mild eating disorder. So, but, you know, I, the, there's no such thing having a sister who's wrestled with that and the past and still deals with it. Um, but when you get to the point where you're, where Jessica was confessing a sin like that, you would say just about anything other than I struggle with pornography. And more and more young women are facing this challenge and more and more young women in the church are dealing with it. So what kind of healing, what kind of treatment, if you will, did Jessica go through? Uh, we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break as the bottom line continues. Well, truly a remarkable uh, woman, Jessica Harris, is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and we're talking about her brand new book called Quenched. Uh, This book is uh, powerful because it helps discover God's abundant grace for women struggling with pornography and also sexual shame. And you heard Jessica talk about how she thought the only way, the only antidote for a porn addiction was to go into the adult industry, to become a, a porn creator herself. And God has delivered her, her through counseling, and she's got more of this amazing testimony to share on the other side of this break. Graciously, Jessica's publisher has presented us with five copies of this book to give away. And so I encourage you to call us right now. Crystal's taking your calls at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Against Jessica Harris is my guest. Uh, We are talking about her brand new book called Quenched, which is based on her self-published book called Beggar's Daughter, From the Rags of Pornography to the Riches of Grace. Um, We've got five copies of Quenched to give away right now at 800-227-5278-800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. It was a little, almost 25 years ago. Um, I was working for a company called Ambassador Advertising, and I was contracted by uh, Waterbrook Press back in the day to do an interview with Steve Arterburn and Fred Stoker. Now, you may remember those two names because they wrote a book together called Every Man's Battle. Um, It was interesting because Fred was in Illinois and Steve was in Laguna Beach and I was in Fullerton. and We were using uh, ISDN technology, which is kind of interesting. They hadn't spent a lot of time together. But when Fred wrote that book, it was very innocent 
compared to what has happened in the porn world now. He talked about struggling with temptation and sexual sin, and that book sold 35,000 copies a week for like the first three months it was in print. When I think of what Jessica Harris is telling us from about that same time frame to where she is right now, it's amazing how the enemy has been at work sowing seeds of deception and delusion and degradation into the hearts and minds of not only young men, but also young women as well. Whether it's erotic novels or pictures or movies or whatever it is, the enemy will stop at nothing. And the reason we call this pornographic is because pornea, that word literally means to defile something that God has created as good. He created physical intimacy between a husband and wife and said it was good. It's for their benefit to grow closer together and closer to God and to produce children. And, it, and what the world has done with it is just, it's shameful. But this book will help people, I know. And that's why I'm grateful that Jessica's publisher has provided five copies of the book called Quenched, Discovering God's Abundant Grace for Women Struggling with Pornography and Sexual Shame. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. KCBC audience, uh, Rabbi Schneider is standing by, but if you can hang on and just go to thebottomlineshow.com, you can hear the second half hour of this powerful conversation. For those who remain on the network, more of my discussion with Jessica Harris coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, for the next half hour, we're going to continue my conversation with author Jessica Harris as she details in rather vivid detail uh, her struggle and addiction with pornography. It's becoming a thing for young women as common as young men. And she writes about it in her book called Quenched, Discovering God's Abundant Grace for Women Struggling with Pornography and Sexual Shame. We've got five copies of this book to give away, and we're taking your calls at 800-227-5278 right now if you'd like to get in on the drawing. I should caution our listening audience, if uh, you are driving the kids home from school and you want to make sure that you have a chance to preview this material before your kids get a hold of it, uh, go to kbrightradio.com, thebottomlineshow.com, myhopenow.com. You'll find the podcasts there. Okay. Uh, let's continue now with part three of my discussion with Jessica Harris here on today's edition of The Bottom Line. Jessica Harris is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about lust. We're talking about pornography. We're talking about overcoming all of that. And oh, by the way, when I mentioned all those three things, you probably thought, well, yeah, I'm sure men have been wrestling with this for for generations. They have. There's a new phenomenon, at least in our culture, at least in the church culture, and that is women talking about the fact that they're struggling with pornography. Jessa, Jessica has a powerful story to tell that she tells in her book called Quenched, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com, from an accidental exposure at the age of 13 to a full-blown addiction by the time she was 17, to nearly getting kicked out of Christian college for that addiction the first time she went, and then getting to the point where you found in your second Bible school experience, Jessica, the, the fact that you had uh, now a, an opportunity to get the healing you needed, and you really talked about the burden being lifted. At what point did you say, okay, now I don't have this issue with, you know, wanting to go to these sites and read erotica and stuff like that, but then you still kind of care, you know, there's that mildew of shame that just doesn't mm. ever seem to go away. Um, how did you confront that as part okay. of your healing? I love that mildew of shame. I love that's such a good line. <laughs> um, I think that is an ongoing thing. I actually write about that often on my on my blog. I started a website back in 2009, sharing my story and addressing this issue among 
women and trying to help women navigate this journey on their own because there weren't resources for them at the time. Right. And shame is just one of those things that just kind of sticks around and you find it kind of like mildew, <laughs> like you find yeah. it in the the weirdest places where you think like, oh, we've, we've gotten over this. Um, I think about when I met my husband, I was 32 and I had been walking in freedom for over a decade and had been doing my ministry for nearly a decade and would have said like, oh yeah, I'm, I like, I totally like, I'm excited about sex and marriage. Like I, I preach that, like I share that message. Like I, I encourage women toward that. And then here, this is weeks before my wedding popping up and trying this, this shame just kind of creeping up out of nowhere. And even in our, our marriage, as I have had children and my body has changed, like finding shame kind of creeping in that way too. So I feel like shame is just one of those things that can be so pervasive and sneaky in our lives where we don't necessarily see it coming. Like yes, there's the obvious shame that you might feel of, oh, I can't tell anybody this struggle and I have to hide this and I have to to not let anyone know this part of me. But there's also parts of shame where we just go, this part of me is just wrong. You mm-hmm. know, and there's so there's different ways that shame can look in a mm. in your life. And so it's not just, oh, I can't tell my pastor's wife or my mentor or my mom or my whoever that I struggle with this. It it just continues. Like there's other ways that it shows up where, oh, I'll never be able to be a good mom because mm-hmm. of what's happened in my past. Right. Or right. Oh, my husband just looked at me funny. And now that probably is because, you know, <laughs> like we just like draw these, maybe that's just a woman's, you know, brain being spaghetti thing. But like we just <laughs> draw these conclusions that that can be the voice of shame. And it's hard for us sometimes to to see that. And so that's a journey that I feel like, even though I just literally wrote a book on it, that I'm still on of being able to point out the things that I think or believe and go, oh no, that's not the truth. That's that's a lie of shame telling me that I, I don't belong or that I'm not lovable or I'm not worthy or that I've screwed up too much. Like those mm-hmm. are lies of, of shame. So I, like, I wish that there was, I don't think there's ever going to be a time where we have completely rid ourselves of shame, this side of, right. of heaven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a journey you know, I'm still on. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And I, I appreciate the, uh, the Bill and Pam Farrell reference too, as a waffle guy myself, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the fact that, you know, there's compartmentalizing for some things and other stuff is just 43 windows open and you can't close them all on your computer. I mean, that's just, it's constantly going there in the female mind. I'm talking with Jessica Harris today here on The Bottom Line about Quenched, her new book about uh, her overcoming her addiction to pornography. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Saying a young woman is addicted to porn just sounds so foreign to a lot of us who are, are of a certain generation. And there are two people in particular that I'm thinking, well, maybe four total, but I mean, we'll stay with the immediate family. What was the response? I mean, you mentioned that you're you're married now and you have a couple of kids, which is fantastic. Um, did your husband know your story? How did you guys meet? How did you bridge that conversation with him? This is one of my favorite stories to tell. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually wrote out my entire story deeper than what's in Quenched back in 2016. Um, I wrote my entire story out for a pastor's conference because I wanted pastors to see and understand the depth of a struggle that women can go through and how important it is to minister to women in their midst. And that it's not just 
flighty dighty romance novels. Like this is a right. deep core issue that needs addressed in the church. So I'd written all this out and I had self-published this book that was my story. My husband bought it. <laughs> really? And, yes. And oh. um, I was talking about shame when I published that. I was devastated because I thought mm. this is it. I'm never getting married because no man's <laughs> yeah. going to want somebody who's got daddy issues and who's got a porn addiction in her past and who just isn't the pristine Christian woman, you know? Right. <laughs> and, uh, I thought that's it. Like I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. And this is, this is the cross I bear for serving Jesus kind of. And I was devastated. I thought, why does this have to continuing that whole, like, why does this have to be my story? Like, why couldn't it be something cute? <laughs> why does, why right. does it have to be this? And my husband, who is a, a chaplain in the army, picked up yeah. that book um, as a way to have resources for female soldiers and mm -hmm. read through it and realized that we lived close to each other. And he's the way he tells it, he says, I closed the book and I prayed like, God, do I go after her? And then mm -hmm. mm -hmm. he emailed me and said, I'd like a case of your books. And I'd also like to get to know you better. And I said, you may have the books and no, you may not get to know me better. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just so, yes, he knew a lot of my story because he had read that first. And that's just God's grace of uh, just flipping what I believed to be the truth on, mm -hmm. on its head, where mm -hmm. here's a man who read my story first and knew that all of the dirty stuff, like all of the yucky stuff kind of that I'd never wanted anyone to know. Right. And still said, I see a woman worth pursuing and I see oh, a heart beautiful. that loves Jesus and I'm going for it. And he did. He very gently and patiently pursued because I was like, not interested. Go mm -hmm. away. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we now we're we're married. So yes, mm. um, we did have other conversations because obviously my entire life isn't in Beggar's Daughter, my first book. Right. But um, so we did obviously have more conversations about that. But yeah, before he even reached out to me, he knew this part of my story. So mm. it's a beautiful guy. Well, yeah, I told you before we started, you get points for the cool microphone and boom you have, but you also made the host cry, so I'm going to take some of those points back. <laughs> okay. uh, Jessica Harris is with me today. You're on the bottom line. We're actually having, a, hopefully, a helpful conversation about a very difficult topic. Uh, it's women and pornography, and especially younger women in pornography. Um, we talked about how your husband responded uh, to uh, Beggar's Daughter, and now, of course, Quenched, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to hear what your mom's reaction was to this, because there are a lot of parents and grandparents who are listening right now. My kids are your age and they are, you know, they've had to deal with some of these challenges too. And I don't know how it's impacted them. So uh, we've never had that conversation. I don't mean, I don't think it's been a problem. It doesn't seem to have been a problem, but you know, I don't want to be that generation X dad who missed that. So let's take a break. And I'm going to ask Jessica Harris a bit more about how her mom responded to this kind of coming out, if you will, of saying, I had this issue and God has delivered me from it. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. 
Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Jessica Harris is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Her book is called Quenched. It's a powerful uh, memoir, if you will, but also a, a practical resource for women, especially younger women who have wrestled with pornography. And Jessica, we were talking during the break about the fact that uh, the Bottom Line show audience, uh, you don't have that issue so much with an older generation, but this has really exploded with millennials, Generation Z and Zoomers. Can, do you have any statistics in terms of how the pendulum has shifted? I mean, if you'd done a conference 25 years ago and talked about pornography, you'd probably say 95% of the people who had a problem with it were guys and the other 5% where women were women had a problem with the fact their husbands had a problem with pornography. It's changed a lot over the mm -hmm. past couple of decades. Mm -hmm. Give us the give us the bad news. Give us <laughs> okay. So here's what I I like to to tell people: the statistics are going to tell you anywhere from twenty to thirty percent of Christian women struggle with pornography, but they're not wow. telling you the whole story because those statistics include the generations that didn't have access to the internet and. That, that don't struggle. So whenever you do that, you kind of water down the numbers a little bit. And so I used to teach math. So uh, <laughs> what we have here <laughs> is a bit of an exponential curve in a okay. way where you get to my grandma's generation and like pornography was not a, a thing for them. You know, it's just right. for Playboy, I think was issued or founded in the fifties. And so you come into the fifties and the people who were raised around in there and you have the men who saw the magazines and that's, you know, that's what it was. And I even had someone ask me, so is women struggling with pornography, just girls sitting around looking at pictures of naked men? And the answer is no. Um, but that's that generation's struggle. And so back in the day when met the magazines were the primary source of this content, women were also not really outside of the home much. And so that generation as well, you don't see a lot of women who are struggling, but then as you come down into millennials, I'm an older mm -hmm. millennial where the internet came into our lives and we started getting access to pornography. You see that use kind of tick up a little bit, but when you get down into generation Z, it's exponentially bigger mm. where I spoke at a conference over 10 years ago now. So like <laughs> back it up, like 10 years ago, I spoke at a, a church conference that was a multi-generational women's conference. So there were 12 year old girls there and grandmothers there. And mm. my, my goal, my heart, whenever I go and speak somewhere is to start the conversation to help facilitate that conversation to happen in a church. And so I had shared my story and this 12-year-old girl went to her friend's mom and said, I don't understand why this girl is here sharing her story. Every girl watches porn. What's the big deal? Wow. The 12-year-old girl in a church. Mm. <laughs> and then I spoke 
um, I spoke at a Christian women's car or Christian high school girls conference and shared my story. And it in- included part of my story where I actually sent images to somebody back before it was like the cool thing to do. And hundreds of the teen Christian high school girls, youth groups that had come to this conference, hundreds of these girls had come forward asking for prayer. And, you know, one shared her story about how she did. She's, she exploited herself essentially, like as a way Mm. of trying to get back at her boyfriend. She like performed revenge porn on herself. Mm. And she just felt absolutely devastated because this is, this is the culture that they're living in. Like this isn't being integrated. I feel like as an older millennial, like I had a life before the internet, like it was, Mm -hmm. and so I understood what, what relationships kind of look like without it. But one of the hallmarks of Gen Z is that they've lived their lives essentially online. They form their communities online. They find their sense of belonging online. And so it makes sense that they are going to struggle with, with the online world and things that are mm-hmm. waiting for them online. I had a church that did an anonymous survey of their teenage girls, their youth group girls, and 100% of their ninth and 10th grade girls admitted to struggling with pornography on the anonymous survey. Wow. So wow. this is not, it's not a 20 to 30% thing for our churches right now. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing for people to understand that this is far more prevalent. I feel like the 20 to 30% statistics are old. You know, that's yeah. back from 2003, 2010, 2016. Those are some of the the earlier studies. And whenever those are done, they're not including the the teenage girls, what they are is their retrospective studies. So it's asking the 18 to 35 year olds, when were you exposed to pornography? And they're winding it back. But if we were to somehow be able to ask the current 12 to 18 year olds, Hey, is this a thing that you're struggling with? I think our numbers would be very close to 75 to hundred percent of our girls have at least seen this. Um, and lots of them would struggle with it too. Jessica Harris is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and for people who are listening on terrestrial radio or our podcast, this next uh, part of the conversation won't make too much sense. But if you're on myhopenow.com, as you can see, I'm holding up my smartphone. And one of the things that Jessica is mentioning, not only with the prevalence of the internet, but we were told in youth ministry world that back in 2010, 2011, that the leading distribution mechanism for pornography within the next five years was going to be the mobile device. Mm -hmm. And Jessica, from what I understand, I mean, that's, that would explain why a large church that had ninth and 10th grade girls come to hear you speak. And when you did your informal survey, a hundred percent of them said, not only did they use pornography or had they been exposed to it, but they struggled with it. I mean, it's all over the television programs and the Netflixes of the world, you know, uh, violence, pornography, foul language. I mean, it's all normalized and mainstream. And I would imagine that there are a lot of kids who don't make the the connection. Uh, take in the final moments that we have together here, take us to some of the steps that helped you heal up. And as you've been doing this ministry now for the past decade plus, um, some of the ways that you're helping other people get help. Talk to a listener of ours who discovers that they're uh, you know, granddaughter or daughter in their teens or early twenties has had a problem with this for half their adult life and they don't mm. know what to do. I think the the most helpful thing I could say to people is to, it's not you versus that person and pornography. It's, it's you and that person versus pornography. Pornography is a predator and 
I think it helps. It's helpful to view it that way. Think about it as if it was the creepy guy hanging out in the playground. Like that. And if that person were to approach or to harm your child, you would not blame your child for that. Like you would go to their defense. You would go to their aid. You would confront this other person. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't saddle all of the responsibility on your child. And what happens is when, you know, the, the average age of exposure is anywhere from nine to 11 years old, they're, they don't have a reference point for what's going on. So having right. healthy conversations in your home about what healthy sexuality looks like, you're not robbing them of their innocence. If anything, you're protecting them from it. Like you're protecting it. Um, so having those healthy conversations in your home and before you give your child a device that can access the internet, understand that it's like sending them to the park on their own. Like you need mm-hmm. to have that conversation with them of, Hey, this stuff is out there. I've done it with my three-year-old, even handing her an iPad. Have I sat down and explained the you know dangers of pornography and that it's exploitation and all, you know, what God's design for sex is? No, I have said to her, <laughs> right. I have said, Hey, there's a lot of stuff out here. Like you can see a lot of things and mommy is trying to make sure that you can't see anything you want to. But if you do ever see a picture of someone without their clothes on, just come tell mommy and I'll take care of it for you. Like excellent, super simple conversations. They don't have to be rooted in shame. Shame is not a healthy motivator for anything. <laughs> shame does right. not help us make good choices. It makes us lie about the bad ones that we've made. And so what I would encourage families to do is have open and honest conversations about this that are grace-filled. And how do we do that? We do that by framing it that pornography is something that is like out to seek and to destroy. Like it, it is trying to come for us and we're going to be lured by it and tempted by it. And that temptation is normal. Those desires are normal and those are nothing to be ashamed of. Like our sex drives are not things to be ashamed of. So having these healthy conversations that frame this in a way of trying to protect what is good, as opposed to keeping you from being bad, if that makes sense. So it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not, if you find pornography and you watch it, you're a bad person, because that's not the case. What we're trying to do is protect what is good. And Mm -hmm. as parents, that means we have these harder conversations because what we have to understand about, especially about younger kids and their minds is whoever tells them first is the expert. That's how they yeah. understand yep. expertise, right? So right. their six-year-old right. friend tells them something and that's the gospel truth, no matter how many times <laughs> you try to explain something else. Like, you don't know what you're talking about, mom. Right. Like, Sarah knows what she's talking about. Like Sarah's six, she has no idea what she's talking about, but they don't understand that. And so when you have your young children being exposed to pornography and that's their first exposure to sex, that's damaging to them. And what we need is to come at it from that approach of not like they're bad people and they're horrible children and they've totally upset us as parents and how could they and none of that. It needs to be, okay, like let's come in and try to repair this and let's build this up. Let's have this be a conversation where we're protecting what is good as opposed to to harping on what is bad. And I think that carries into even when you have adults who confess to a struggle of this. We want to protect what is good. And we have to figure out where that, where the damage has happened because pornography is so damaging. Um, And I think so often we just want to stop the bad behavior and we're going to do whatever we can to stop it without realizing that there is a need to find the, the healing and to restore and to build up where those broken places are. And so I, I just would encourage people like 
be willing to have this conversation that goes a little bit deeper than just stop it. Cause just stop it. Doesn't help anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> um, especially people who struggle because they do want to stop and they are trying to stop and they can't figure out how to, what we need to do is have conversations that speak grace into the, the struggle, whether that's from trauma that's led them there or just from just feeling so much shame for even having the struggle to begin with. We need to be mm. speaking grace into that and helping to protect and restore what is good and not just focusing on what is what is bad or wrong or negative. Jessica Harris, uh, sharing a lot of bravery, compassion, mercy, empathy uh, for women who struggle with pornography and uh, opening our eyes to the reality that younger women are struggling with it in record amounts. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in the culture. But uh, even those who profess faith in Christ are still wrestling with the issue of shame and guilt and and how do we overcome this? Uh, one way you can start having that dialogue is by getting a copy of Jessica's book, which I highly recommend. It's called Quenched, Discovering God's Abundant Grace for Women Struggling with Pornography and Sexual Shame. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And also, Jessica, where do we find you online? I know you're probably getting... Well, you're either getting inundated with requests to speak and write or whatever, or you're getting a lot of people saying, no, that's, we don't have that problem here. Carry on, move along (laughs) to the next place. We don't, we don't want to admit it, but where do we find you on social media so we can follow up on this? My blog is beggarsdaughter.com. And so my social media handles are beggarsdaughter and I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Okay, great. We'll make sure those are linked up at thebottomlineshow.com as well. Jessica Harris, thank you for the work that you're doing in this area and for sharing your testimony with us here today on The Bottom Line. God's richest blessings to you and your husband and your daughters uh, during this. They're, they're both girls, right? Your yes. kids are? Okay, good. To, uh, and God has given you that legacy. And I think I, that's just so wonderful. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you. Powerful discussion and a great resource too. And Jessica, thank you for having your publisher uh, provide us with five different copies of this book, thanks to Baker Books. Five different copies of the book called Quenched, Discovering God's Abundant Grace for Women Struggling with Pornography and Sexual Shame, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Call now. We have five of these books we're giving away. Some final thoughts in just a moment as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year, and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. My thanks again to Jessica Harris. 
by far, in the 12 years we've done this program, one of the bravest authors we've ever had for sharing her story about what it was like to be a church-going girl. Grandpa was a Sunday school teacher. At age 13, she got exposed to accidentally uh, open a, a pornographic email, and the next thing you know, she was hooked. Spent the next several years of her life wrestling with that addiction. Finally got help. Now she's happily married, has two young daughters of her own, and she's telling her story to help other women avoid the grips of pornography. Her book called Quenched, Discovering God's Abundant Grace for Women Struggling with Pornographic and Sexual Shame is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have five copies of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Romans 8.28, what the enemy meant for evil in Jessica Harris's life, God is using for good in a culture right now where pornography has become the standard and biblical morals and values seem a little old-fashioned and out of date. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's wisdom from the Proverbs, and that's the bottom line.